0: What would you like the power to
1: do? Mobile banking
0: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: Hello and welcome back to another installment of Battle Red Radio. I'm your host, Colt Molesky, and I'm joined by producer Nico. Got tons to get into. We have uh, a lot of... Transactions that the Texans were involved with today, as well as some record stuff that I wanted to get into. But before we do all of that, Nico, we didn't touch on this. I didn't see this story. This is on me. Tap my chest. That's my bad. Uh, but I did not notice that the Captain C was removed from Brandon Cook's jersey. And he talked a little bit about it. Uh, earlier this week and talk about how you know he's he's just a person uh, and he just he has a, a big de- desire to win I know we've talked a lot about uh, about cooks the quote on NFL.com is man I'm a human uh, I'm frustrated absolutely I want to win that's not the case that's what's going on uh, that's what the way I express my emotions uh, and they said that he's captain C was, revoked because of uh, internal stuff and stuff that he has said to the press. Is this a, a really big deal, or is this kind of them taking care of business a little bit?
0: Uh, I think it's a little bit of them just kind of putting their foot down, uh, which I'm happy to see. I'm glad that we're not just going to like curl over and be like, oh yeah, anything you say, dog, because...
2: There's not just an airing of grievances. Yeah, <laughs> like we're, we're to just happen. not going
0: to do that for fun. Like this is going to be like a common practice. No, it like we understand like he also has to come to terms with the fact that yeah, we didn't trade you, but like you're getting what 18 million dollars from us. You're going to get that anywhere else. You've been in the league for 10 years and you're on a terrible team. You aren't going to win. Like you have to face that reality, dog. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and like you're, you're still on the roster. Like we still expect you to show up, put in the work, do the stuff. You're not supposed to be out here trashing the team. Yeah, and if you want to be Did
0: traded, you-, you should be doing your best to like not be a big deal about it. Be like, I would have really loved to move, but you know that that's just not where it in the cards right now. But you know we're gonna we're gonna make me be an appealing offer to other people. Like that should be the goal. You know, yeah,
2: yeah, and. You know, it is interesting, you have guys like Aaron Rodgers, and I get that quarterback is the position where you're going to give, you're going to give a quarterback a million chances, right? Even mid-tier quarterbacks, a a million chances, right? So, I I get that that's just kind of the standard that we all have, I guess, accepted, (laughs) right? And talent talent beats everything. I mean, how many chances did Greg Hardy get? Talent is obviously the, the trump card across the NFL and really across sports, where uh, if you're good enough, teams are going to look the way on a lot of stuff before you're out of the league. But is it is it the Texans who have had all the Deshaun Watson stuff and want to clean up their act, the uh, Easterby stuff, all of this weird stuff over the last couple of years want to clean up their act? Or is it a weird double standard where if he's a quarterback, nothing happens? Which wh- Where do you fall on that? Which is this?
0: Well, the Texans have always kind of been this weird, uh, like, righteous kind of, like, we put the gentleman first and then the sports second, which is odd to say the least. Like, we've never really had, like, I think Deshaun Watson's like the first big, like, scandal in terms of, like, moral scandal and not, like, Someone sure. getting murdered. Um, putting that aside, I, I want to obviously acknowledge that. Uh, but this being kind of a weird position we've been in, because we've always been kind of a righteous team. I remember we had—I was like my freshman year of high school. I remember we we picked up this receiver who was great. He did great in the game, and then two weeks later, he was off of the roster, and it's because he had done something like out of the game, and that we just never saw him again. I like, think it was something holiday. We just never saw him again. Like, he was... Mm -hmm. We traded him. He ended up somewhere else. He was fine. Like, he didn't... He wasn't the worst. But, like, we just let him go for moral reasons. So, we've always been kind of this weird thing. And maybe staying strict is kind of what we are. But I have no idea what you gain from that aside from trying to, like, to clean up the act. But it's weird otherwise. But, I mean... Being a good quarterback does save you from a ton of stuff. I mean, look at, like, every Heisman winner ever.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't hate the idea of an organization being like, you know what, whatever is going on, we need to all at least seem that we're going in the same direction. It all seem like we're being on the same page. We don't want all sorts of stuff. I mean – this kind of was death by a million cuts for the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Where they had talented guys who were kind of going at each other in the media or going at the team in the media, whether it was Big Ben, whether it was uh, Bell, whether it was Brown. And it felt kind of like that was a death by a million cuts there. Not to compare. I don't think that, to be clear, Brandon Cooks did anything as bad as maybe when those guys were attacking the team or each other in the media. But I feel like, Maybe some teams look at it as a slippery slope, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think you could definitely... It's real easy to get out of hand. Someone can say one thing, and it's just... It's it's all dominoes from there.
2: As far as comments to the media, I don't know if you saw the Raiders coming out and defending Josh McDaniels after a 2-7 and seven start. I feel like that's the kind of thing, along these lines even, where... I wouldn't hate that from the Texans if they came out and said, hey, you know what, uh, w- the expectations weren't super high. We knew that we were going to be developing young guys, and we are going to figure out where we were as an organization and figure out where we were uh, as, as a team and where the direction of the franchise is going, and Lovey Smith is doing a good job. I think Lovey Smith is actually doing a good job. We've talked about it before how this is – A roster that doesn't have the talent that a lot of rosters have in the NFL this is a roster that is just trying to figure out which young guys are going to be the building blocks for the next couple of years not so much uh the guys that are going to be able to move the needle into wins this year and he's still in all the I mean pretty much all these games are one possession games even the ones where like we were talking about the Giants game this last week where it is ugly but despite the ugliness you're still able to keep a one possession game. They're not getting blown out by 20 points. in any of these games, it's not like the, uh, I don't know, like there's multiple Detroit lions or Cleveland Brown seasons where it's like 10 of those games you weren't even in, like you might as well not have even shown up to the field. Uh, and, but it doesn't really feel like the Texans are mailing in any of these games, despite maybe some of the product on the field. And so I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of backing up your coach a little bit uh, when his feet are on the fire uh, from a public standpoint. Now, you can argue back and forth about whether Josh McDaniels is the guy moving forward or whether he is doing a good job, but to have the organization backing him up I, I think is important. I think it's really important because I wouldn't hate if Lovey Smith is the guy for the next couple of years as they move into the future of the Texans franchise, because I think he is a great defensive mind. And I think he is a good locker room guy and, uh, and players like him. And so I would not hate Texas. I would not hate Houston, Texas. And I feel like that is kind of a buzz too, is there's part of the fan base that does kind of want to see that happen maybe next year, moving on from the head coach or wouldn't hate that I think that that might be a miss. I think that Lovey Smith should stick around, and I would like to see the organization defend him a bit.
0: Right. I mean, other than like him not having a strong like position on like offense, which I mean makes sense. He's like a defense primarily guy, and also this is kind of it's it's so weird, but to say this, but like he's basically this is a year one organization again. Like, this is the first time we ever get to see this person build a team. So like. Surprising that we're doing this well off of effectively nothing, some draft picks that we got.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I don't know, like get a great offensive coordinator if you don't have an off if you don't have Andy Reid as your head coach. You know, like I, I don't think I that's definitely not a deal breaker for me either. Like if you're not an, if you're not a great offensive mind, but you can manage a team, I would. I'd be fine with that because guess what? If you're good at managing a team, managing a locker room, managing the personalities, you're going to be fine with turning over the offense to a really solid offensive mind. You're not going to need to be in there and have too many cooks in the kitchen. And I think Lovey Smith is kind of that guy where he's not going to have to micromanage, even though he's a defensive guy, I feel like he's probably not going to have to micromanage the offense like Sometimes it felt like maybe like a guy like, I don't know, Rex Ryan was doing for some of those Jets teams. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it felt like maybe that was the case. I feel like Lovey Smith is never going to be in that spot. And so I, I, I would be fine with him moving forward uh, and, and having him kind of take the helm of, of the rebuild. But that, that's the kind of public comments where it's the other end of the spectrum where it's like, you know what, maybe speaking up in this area would actually do the team some good as opposed to just, like, being buttoned up and getting to the next game. Like, it's okay to have a little uh, – to show a little bit uh, of, of backing for the coach.
0: Yeah, just being supportive. I mean, it's so important, I think, because uh, keeping that structure is way more important than, like, any individual piece.
2: Well, and that's, that's a great point, too, is that, you know, there is something to be said for – for stability. And you look at these teams and even even if they do have talent, the the teams that are turning over coaching staffs every year and trying to instill new systems and trying to still new it instill new cultures and methodologies and ways that these franchises are going about their business day to day uh, as a team and how that's getting retweaked and redone every time you bring in a new coaching staff. I think that really just extends it. And not to say that you want to try and salvage that by keeping a bad coach in uh, the situation to not rock the boat. But I do think if you're so desperate to win that you're tearing it down to the studs immediately when it doesn't work, even if you have a bad team and trying to rebuild the coaching staff and the roster at the same time, I don't think that helps. And so uh, going into this off season where you have a bunch of young guys and now you're going to add a quarterback stability is one of the better things you could do. And so making adjustments tweaks, you want to change and grow. But if you've got, I feel, I really do feel like Lovey Smith is a good coach to kind of handle this and he helped bring the bears out of uh mediocrity. And so he's done this before. I, I think he could be the guy for them as well. And it just be, and I, I'm not saying the Houston Texans not coming out and supporting him means that they're going to fire him in the off season, but I don't know. That has been a rumbling for what three weeks now, four weeks now we've been paying attention to what fans are talking about. Seems like it's been a topic of conversation, at least a little bit for a few weeks now is, is Lovey Smith moved on or moved off of at, for the, uh, the franchise at come the end of the season. I don't know. Go, come out back. the guy, Build around him for a few years, give him a quarterback, give him some more pieces.
0: Yeah, Uh, I feel like it's definitely like a a record shock, I think. People see our record and then they go, well, clearly this guy's doing a terrible job. It's like, if you're just looking at the numbers, yeah, we look like the worst team ever right now. But, however, (laughs) it's not like it's a totally lost cause. There's a difference between salvaging something playable and... This is this is ridiculous.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of that, we're going to go through and talk about why I don't think that this is the worst Texan situation uh, ever. And we'll get to that in a little bit. First, I want to talk about some of the roster moves. There have been a few additions. Now, these are not huge trade deadline like moves. But they are moves. They are moves. And they have been busy. Uh, and I'm going to try and see – I'm going to throw these at you, Nico, and see which one uh, which one adjusts the pulse, if any. If any of these are doing anything for you. The So today the uh, Houston Texans, they have added Eno Benjamin, who – was just on the Arizona Cardinals. He was taking. He was actually getting starting. He was starting games while James Connor was out. Then you also have a receiver, former Wake Forest receiver Alex Backman, and Will Redman, a defensive back. Uh, so obviously these are these are going to be practice the practice squad moves, practice squad guys. Uh, but. Is there potential for any of these guys being a diamond in the rough, or are these just late-season practice squad roster-filling moves?
0: I mean, it's tough to say, honestly. Like, I mean, we'll see performance on the field. I mean, if they turn out great, I mean, we've had a lot of really, I mean, surprising hits, especially on, like, this rookie year has been crazy for us, if I'm being entirely honest. <laughs> so, maybe we can add to I, that, but...
2: I got to be honest with you. Eno Benjamin does nothing for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, I'm not this, I'm not here to defend anyone. You can you can tear him up if you want.
2: <laughs> this this backfield is very solid. Uh and I I don't know like is he even going to be able to steal reps from a guy like uh like Rex Burkhead? Only maybe if he's injured. That doesn't really do a ton for me. I uh, I kind of like, this is going to be a deep cuts college football take. Again, I watch a lot of college football that sometimes influences stuff, but the Alex, uh, Bachman from wake forest, wake forest has had some like sneaky solid receiving cores the last few years. Uh, he's only in his second season as a professional. Uh, and he was undrafted, but I don't know, the the receiving cores for the, for Wake Forest over the last couple of years have been really solid. A lot of guys who uh, are, are real speedsters, really good at playing the ball in the air. I, I don't, I think that one could become one of those where maybe like mid, like mid season next year, it's one of those, or maybe like in week, like 17 of this year, he's got a few catches like, Oh, Hey, who's this guy? He's, he's kind of, he's kind of grabbing, he's moving nice. He's kind of got some quick twitch. He's picking up some, some receptions. I don't know. Maybe I am trying to grasp that straws a little bit here, but I feel like that could be one guy on a team that desperately needs receiving talent. I'm not saying that they found Calvin Johnson on the waiver wire, but I feel like he could be, a, he could potentially be a nice little, uh, third, fourth receiver at some point but that's how you, that's how you win that's how you get success too is finding the diamonds in in, in the rough and and finding guys off the scrap heap. how many times have the patriots done this where they find somebody that has bounced around a little bit uh and all of a sudden he's catching passes in a, in a playoff game
0: i mean look someone can do it it's bill belichick
2: <laughs> yeah and i i don't know again these are these are not trade deadline earth-shattering moves. If if they're going to be... A, it, I'm just saying if I'm prognosticating who amongst these guys maybe could be the diamond in the rough, I think it's going to be uh, this guy, and, and we'll have to see. But, again, he's not going to be breaking any games for us anytime soon. But those are the most recent roster moves that they've made. They have been a little busy today, uh, Tuesday, and so... So, uh Hey, we cover the Texans. We're going to report on it.
0: Welcome aboard, gentlemen.
2: <laughs> well, officially welcome aboard from Nico. So we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to get to some sponsors. <laughs> going to get to some sponsors. And then we're going to get into worst season for the Texans. Why I think this is not the worst season for the Texans, even though the record may have some people Looking down, but we're going to get to that in just a second.
1: Okay, everybody, let me tell you all about the Adventure Begins Comics Games and More Adventure Stadium. That's right. And we already know about the great and wonderful comics and, tra- and trading card store they have on the first floor. They also now have on the second floor a sports memorabilia store and sports trading cards. It's awesome. Get up there to the stadium right there at 525 Woodland Square Boulevard, Suite 130. The second floor above the the original Adventure Begins in the Marcel Town Center. Make sure to check them out. The Adventure Begins, comics, games, and more. The Adventure Stadium. It's time to trade in your face mask for masks. Load up the hoppers and go to war with your friends. Too hot? Too rainy? Too cold? Splat Zone Indoor Paintball has you covered. Literally. It's Splat Zone Indoor Paintball. Round up the family and get to 11260 Hempstead to check out Splat Zone Indoor Paintball today. Family-friendly. Low impact activities for everybody. Go check them out. One one two six zero Hemstead Splat Zone Indoor Paintball.
2: Welcome back. In you know, Nico mentioned a little bit ago about uh, the the record. Look at the record. Might have some Houston Texas fan panicking. You know, maybe you didn't think that this season was going to be as bad as this, or as bad as it's looked at points. Maybe you don't think that. It was just going to be one win to this point. I know that we were definitely looking at a couple of games before the week 11 mark and thinking that they might have two or three victories, but you got me thinking, Nico, got me thinking, you know what? This, this franchise does not have a long, illustrious history. This is the 20th season, but is this really, does it seem that bad or have there been worse moments? Because you know what? The silver lining could be, it could be that this is not the worst season. I know the record is grim. I know that the play on the field has left some to be desired, but let's go through and let's try and find where it was darker and then use that as a reason to, to shed some light on why you can steer out of this stuff. Nothing is permanent. We know that from watching Lots and lots of football over our lives, so let's let's try and add a little a little hope to people's weeks midway through here, uh, as we get ready for for week eleven. So I went and I pulled up. We have all of the records for the Houston Texans. I also went through I'm um, and looking at the point differentials, with, which I think is important. But we're also going to look at like where the team was at. And what's, what's next, right? So, first, let's get to some of this stuff. This year, they have the 1-7-1 record, as we all know. Point differential, not bad. Minus 58. Not bad for a team with one win. If you look at last year, they were 4-13, and and their point differential was minus 172. Minus 172. That's kind of insane <laughs> for a four-win team to be minus 172. I mean, you look, their last couple of point differentials that were that bad, 2013, they went 2-14 and with a minus 152 point differential. And back in 2005, they were 2-14, and minus 171. So to beat both of those numbers and have twice as many wins, is that, first of all, pause, is that impressive?
0: <laughs> uh, almost, right. It's got to be to at least at least someone sort of. thinks that's impressive. I don't know if that person is me yet. But
2: what a wild pendulum swing. Also kind of lets you know how hot Davis Mills was to finish out last year.
0: Yeah, definitely. Also uh that 2013 season will haunt me forever. I remember that because it was like back to back with one of our best seasons of all time. We won like we won yeah, like eleven that was, games that last year before that, like 2012. And then twenty thirteen we crumbled to 12, dust. Twelve and
2: four. You go ten and six, twelve and four, and then two and fourteen. Yep. Tough. Yep. That Tough. was
0: that was the moment. It was like and there 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 goes any kind of era we had going.
2: So that uh that's a good segue into why I think you're looking, uh, look back at history, right? You're supposed, what are we supposed to use history for, Nico? We're supposed to look back at history to learn from it. And so looking back at the history of the Texans, first of all, I don't think this is the darkest days. And I'm going to make an argument for uh, the the David Carr era as when it it was real dark. But before we get to that, the reason you want to learn from this history is not once, but twice has it really looked really pretty horrible. And the Texans have kind of pulled back from that. But before that, here's why I think the David Carr era was, was the worst. So you have in, uh, the early two thousands, uh, you have this team kind of trying to maybe again it was a new franchise 2002 first year four and twelve nobody's gonna be good that that first year right nobody's expecting to be good that first year and then you go five and eleven seven and nine some marginal improvements but obviously I mean we know this story looking back at it now right is that car was really just beat to 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 heck! He was he was beat to beat to near death. He was beat really right out of the game, and then you have big regression. 2005, you have the two and fourteen season minus one seventy one on the differential. Their offensive ranking in both points and yards was really at the bottom of the league. In defense, it was even worse in points and yards. Thirty second and thirty first. I uh, in an offense, by the way, points and yards, 26 and 30th. So right there at the bottom as well. So, and, and they didn't really have like a route out of it. They were trying to climb their way out. And all of a sudden you take a massive dip car back again for tw- 2006, they have a six win season, but I feel like that. And I have to go back through the, the history a little bit and have to, do, I had to do some reading and look at, some of these some of these teams because obviously in 2005 I was 10 years old so I wasn't super locked into uh
0: locked into the, <laughs> you're telling, you're telling the me Texans. you weren't you weren't zoned in <laughs> I was
2: not locked into David Carr and the Texans back then but if you're going back and looking at uh at some of those scores especially to finish out the 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 season I mean I don't know. You're getting absolutely wrecked by the Patriots. Uh, you're getting run over by the jets. Uh, it's just, it's not good. They're not in a lot of these games and looking at that team. You can't get it right around a quarterback that was really, was really highly touted, highly heralded coming out of college. You're not able to get right around him, but then You go and you have 2007, 2008, 2009. You have Schaub at the helm. Then that 2010 season, Foster, Arian Foster's there at running back. Things are looking up. You start getting some 500-win seasons. All of a sudden, 9-7 and in 2009. And then 2011-2012, you have the 10-12-win seasons. And now, like you said, drastic, drastic fall from grace, 2013, two and 14 things look all over the place. You run through the next few years, a gambit of quarterbacks from Fitzpatrick to Hoyer to Osweiler. Uh, you have different running backs. You're going from blue to Miller. You're all over the place, but then you have Watson and you have an offense that looks good. And the defense has regressed, but the offense is, is starting to kick it up a notch and saving you in games. They go four and 12, but it looks different. Points on offensive rank is 17th. Yards is 20th. And then 2018-2019, double-digit win games. You're going to the play. double-digit win seasons. You're going to the playoffs both of those years. And now, of course, we know how the last couple of years have gone. But when you're looking at this, first of all, I think your darkest moment was still probably 2006. It's either 2006 or 2013 when you have the drastic drop-off uh, after your your couple of playoff runs with that Schaub team and Kubiak. Uh, but I don't think it's this right now because... You have a strategy. You know where you're going with this young talent. You know where you want to do. With quarterback, it would seem now, and you have the pieces in place. And I think that's encouraging because this is a team that has drafted well enough and been able to build enough talent to get to the playoffs and to climb out of those holes before. So before we before I get to do you believe they could do it a third time in – just over two decades, Nico, if you're going to draft a worst season, what's your draft pick?
0: Draft a worst season, like the number one bad season, The number one
2: bad season. I think that this, this is not the darkest hour for the Houston, Texas is my argument. I think it's either that 2006 or, or excuse me, 2005
0: or 2013. It's gotta be 13. That, that year was cursed. <laughs>
2: That's, that's fair because either season you pick, you look down the road and the team was able to climb out of that hole. And it, it it takes a couple of years. I'm not saying the next year you're going to the playoffs, right? That's not true in either case, but in both cases, after a series of years, they were able to climb out of that hole. And I mean, you look at it like, and this is a Maybe even a good case for Lovey Smith too. Kubiak was with them through all of that, uh, from 2006 to when they were going to playoff games and winning the division and looking really good in 2011, 2012. So the franchise can climb out of this hole. It's done it two times before in the recent in recent memory, and the ebb and flow of uh, of an NFL lifespan. Is longer than one year and so even though it feels kind of gross right now I feel like there's some really great building blocks for a team that has shown that it's able to stack those and turn those into successful seasons so I don't know if this is helping any Houston Texans fans it's something that I was thinking about when I was hearing about you know reading some stuff from people over the last few weeks about needing to move on from the coach or about how this is a, a horrible season about how this is the ugliest it's been the kind of the silver line that kind of feels mildly sarcastic is no, it's not. There have been worse. And also having a bad season is not a death sentence. And for some teams, it kind of feels like it is a little bit. I get that the Cleveland Browns have been, have had some playoff runs in them, but the Cleveland Browns were also bad for like what? Eight years. I mean, there's never an eight-year run in this Houston Texans history of being horrible.
0: Right. We have we have two exceptionally bad years and then marginal improvement until eventually we're okay again. And so we're in the exceptionally bad year, and then this is the time where we improve, and then we, we make playoffs, and then we win them, and then, like, come on, guys. It's a cycle. Everyone knows it's a cycle. Like, things move on. At it's least— a cycle. At least we're not like stuck into like a million contracts. Like there's one thing I feel like we have such a such a bright future. We have so little money tied up. We have so many picks. Like if you were going to blow up a franchise and rebuild it, we've done it eloquently. Like we have done exactly what you're supposed to do. Because at least we're not firing our head coach, starting over from scratch. Have no draft picks, no cap space. Like there's teams in that position right now.
2: Yeah, it's not, it's not a disaster. Uh, it seems like they've kind of cleaned out some of the, the nonsense in the front office. You have a ton of draft picks, like you're saying. You have good picks. And then, uh, not next year, but the year after, you're going to have a lot of cap space. So they have set themselves up to where – and it looks like they've hit a couple of – picks here too. It looks like and that's the crucial part too, right? Is hitting multiple draft picks in each draft. That's how you really stack up that roster talent. And it looks like they have hit a couple of draft picks this last draft. If you can do that again next draft, then the year after that you can spend a little money in free agency and all of a sudden you're off to the races and there you go. And now you're you're starting to put something together. And that's the crucial part. And they're probably what, two years away? From being a a good team, but there's still a route there. There's still not a rudderless ship. I feel like maybe things were a little rudderless in 2005 with Carr, and it definitely. I mean, you had a, a plummet in 2013, but fell off the this face of season, the earth.
0: Colton, it was so bad <laughs> to be a Texans fan that year. Because we were coming off of, we were like, we're going to win 14 games this year. And then we lost those 14 games.
2: (laughs) If you could, would you be like willing to, I'm trying to think of something. Like if you knew that you could reverse the outcome of that season, would you give up like red meat for the rest of your life? Or like cut off your pinky toes?
0: Absolutely not. I want to be able to walk normally for the rest of my life.
2: Do you think your pinky toes adjust your walking that much?
0: Oh, 100%. You don't know you don't know how much something affects you until you don't have it.
2: I think I could be pretty good. I think I could be okay. I'm telling you this right now as a kid who grew up in downtown Minneapolis watching the Timberwolves. I in 2000 uh 2000 what was it? 2008 Two thousand seven, I would have, I would have lost both pinky toes to keep Kevin Durant or Kevin Garnett on the team. A hundred percent, I would have made that trade.
0: Well, we know where the devil lies in the pinky toe. Like what?
2: <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just uh, I don't know. The Timberwolves only were had one playoff run. You saw a couple of them. You knew they could get out of the hole. <laughs>
0: The worst part is that, like, we probably still would have lost in the playoffs. So, like, how much would I have been trading them for? Like, like we win 14 games and then still lose in, like, the second round of the playoffs? Like,
2: <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Is that the worst that a coach has ever hurt you? Kubiak going...
0: Just just absolutely just blowing <laughs> it up. I mean, like, that was just such a Kubiak bad year. <laughs> it's, it's almost impressive because, like, at least Kubiak was, like, just bad. Bill O'Brien was just nothing. We just never surpassed mediocre outside of our defense. And that was entirely due to, like, J.J. J. Watt <laughs> putting the entire really, defense uh, on his back.
2: That was really tough. And then, like, Watson, they they got Watson. And, uh, and it's like, oh, O'Brien just needed his quarterback. And it's like, ah, I'm pretty sure any coach could have. Put together a scheme that makes Watson look good. Yeah, I don't know. he's the he's part of the tough Bill Belichick coaching tree. Is that one of the most maligned coaching trees? The Bill Belichick coaching tree.
0: It's just it's just nothing there. It's just nothing there. Like name name a good run. Okay, we 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 won ten games one year. I think. That was it. Like that was our most impressive we ever did, ten or eleven at most.
2: Joe like, Judge, what, say what you will about his ruined loss record, but he won the locker room for the Giants. So there's a win for the coaching, the Bill Belichick coaching tree.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just nothing there. He
2: got text from players that a lot of players wish he was still on the team. So see, like that's that's
0: dedication.
2: Huge W's for the coaching tree. All right, before we lose ourselves too much, <laughs> let's take a let's take a quick break and then we will go around the NFL some headlines before we close out here.
1: It's never a good idea to drink and drive, but what if you had a few beers at the game and you know you're not drunk, but you get pulled over and arrested anyway? You need a law firm that knows how to try DWI's. Someone who won't just plead you out quickly. You need a lawyer who has spent hundreds of hours in a hands-on lab course learning the sciences used in DWI cases. A lawyer ACS qualified to be designated a lawyer scientist because these cases aren't like other kinds of cases. Your positive outcomes may very well depend on who better understands and presents the science at trial. Attorney Brian Asin is a designated lawyer scientist, and the lawyers at Asin Law Firm have successfully tried and won many of these cases. Call Asin Law Firm at 832-209-2297. That's ASIN Law Firm at 832-209-2297 or visit DWILawyerHouston.com.
2: Welcome back in. We've had some busy weeks. We haven't done this in a couple weeks, but we're going to look at the big headlines around the NFL. I mean, it's got to be the, for me, it's as crazy as the Vikings-Bills football game was wild if you didn't see it go watch it one of the most fun football games I've ever watched just genuinely fun football games I've ever watched as well as that was I think the big headline this week is the Eagles losing to Washington and ruining the the perfect season I don't know if they were gonna go flawless but ruining it to Washington feels like a huge stumble Nico
0: I, like dude, they were just drunk i like i, like, I don't like i don't know to tell you dog, what what happened the wheels fell off the that best was- bus on the planet this is supposed to be the team this is the team i called at week 3 16 and 0
2: that game was so funky and i get like the, the old mantra is, oh, well, it, when it's a divisional opponent, you throw out the records. But when one of those teams is going into the game and they haven't lost in two months, I don't know how much of that record I want to throw out. And then you have all sorts of turnovers and bad picks. And it's like the the, the Washington Commanders are running the ball down their throats, sort of. They're barely averaging over three point or 3 yards per carry which is not great in the by NFL standards. So like they're running the ball a lot but not doing it well and you had I believe uh that Heinicke threw for like 211 yards and had a pick and had the the sack fumble at the beginning of the game. So it's like the quarterback didn't take over and the defense for the I don't want to take anything away from Washington. The defense actually did play well, but also there was some crazy like that fumble at the end of the game from the Eagles, where the receiver is catches the ball, gets up, and then promptly fumbles immediately. Like it was such a fluky, funky game.
0: And this one hundred percent sounds like they were like, "All right, guys, I know we're I know we're eight zero. I think it is time to see if we can win against the Commanders while inebriated." <laughs> like, <laughs> like this was we're not- all going to. <laughs> like we're everyone at the acid same and time. See
2: if we can beat them.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're like they're like I think that coming off of our record here, we could probably beat these people drunk and then they didn't win and they were like ah close. <laughs> like that's the only explanation that makes sense to me. Game. What happened? What is this game?
2: <laughs> well, and like I get the thing is going to be now they got the the monkey off their back of that thing hanging over their head that they haven't lost before and they got their bad game out of the way. But...
0: Like, lose to a better team at least.
2: Well, that's the thing, too, is that when your record is sort of soft and your best win is uh, against a Vikings team in week two, I... I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to go out and say that the Eagles are overrated, but I, I, ju- I do think that in prime, when you lose a game like that in prime time, that loss is gonna is gonna hang on you for a little longer. I think, you know.
0: Yeah, but how great would it have been if they won that game and they're like secret cats out of the bag? We were drunk the whole time. We were literally the best team in football.
2: <laughs> is burning the tapes enough if you're the Eagles?
0: Uh I mean you don't have to think about it anymore. You're like, "All right guys, going into week 9, 8 and 1." Woo. I th-
2: I think that I think you just have a policy around like the office like you don't talk about about week 10. Yeah, you they're like, "What happened?"
0: Like, "What happened?" And they're like, "You know, you don't want to know. It's fine."
2: Burning the burning the tapes is not enough. I think you've got to sink them to like the bottom of the ocean or something.
0: Yeah, just they didn't happen. That game didn't happen. They're not even gonna write the loss on the on the sh- on the board. They're just gonna leave it blank.
2: Exact <laughs> exactly. They're just gonna go zero zero. We're starting out new new record now. We're doing a yeah. new
0: record. Yeah, yeah. They're oh um, 0 right now.
2: One other thing I wanted to touch on before we head out. Did you see the Aaron Patrick, the Broncos player, filing a lawsuit against the NFL? For the mats on the sideline.
0: I did not. Say, All right, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to roll this one out for me.
2: Okay, so, so here's what here's the the situation that's happening, and this was announced. Let me pull up the date. I believe it was announced today. Yeah, this was announced today. So, uh, Denver Broncos player is suing the NFL and Los Angeles Chargers SoFi Stadium after he was injured during a game, claiming negligence on the parties involved. So this is per, this is per, uh, what is this? Fox 31 in Colorado. Fox 31 in Colorado is uh, is issuing this report on their website. That's where I'm getting it from. The suit was filed Tuesday morning in the state of California uh, for an attorney for the Broncos outside linebacker, Aaron Patrick. Uh, the incident took place on Monday night, on October 17th, when Patrick injured his ACL after tackling the Chargers punt returner, DeAndre Carter. As a result of the play, Patrick ended up on the sidelines where the lawsuit says he made contact with the NFL's TV liaison and rolled his foot on one of the mats covering the cables, leading to the NFL's instant replay monitor. I'm sorry, I, should, I shouldn't laugh. Injuries are not I mean, funny. it's funny. It's, that is <laughs> funny, though. It's wild that the thing that was – supposed, like, you cover them so that people don't trip.
0: He tripped on the cover.
2: And he he slipped on the cover. The suit states the defendants were negligent in their operation of SoFi Stadium in allowing a dangerous condition to exist, never mind the condition of having people throw their head first into you, uh, by having these three mats placed near the sideline to cover cords, cables, That led to the feed for the instant replay. Okay, so it goes on about that. Uh, So he's, he's suing them for these mats. The thing that I gleaned from this when I first saw it and when I first looked into it, would this be the weirdest, most backwards thing ever if the NFL lost a lawsuit over mats when they've been dodging the CTE concussion stuff? Like Barry Sanders yeah. for the last, like, four decades?
0: Yeah, yeah. No one in the NFL is concussed. Are those mats, though, got to go. Gotta. We just got to have raw cables sitting out there so we can actually trip people.
2: <laughs> the Bills owner, what was that, two years ago, said humans shouldn't play football. It should be reserved for robots because it's too dangerous. And how many players have died and then they opened up their brains and said, oh, my gosh, the CTE is ridiculous. And we still can't get a doctor to confirm if a guy has a concussion when he stands up and falls immediately back down. But the mats got to go. The mats got to go.
0: Yeah, those are clearly the most dangerous part of football. I mean, I can't believe we've been allowing mats over their cords the entire time.
2: Now. Now. I want to preface this, maybe they are in the wrong. Maybe they are. And I hope that no player ever I hope that no player ever gets injured. I'm just saying, the irony If this suit wins and all the other stuff is brushed off, pretty, I don't even know if hilarious is the right word because it's
0: kind of sad. Ironic? I don't even know if that's useful. It's very
2: ironic. It's definitely ironic.
0: (laughs) Is it ironic or just sad?
2: (laughs) It's, well, maybe it's everything. Maybe it's ironic and sad. Maybe it's all of the above. I don't know nobody's listening at this point anyways so i think we're
0: (laughs) they'll survive they're they're watching they're they're keeping their eyes peeled for these cable covers all right
2: hey you know what we're gonna have to track this put it put a note show note track it for saturday for sunday we're gonna do our sunday saturday update and we are gonna do our Matt's update we're gonna track it all baby that's what we're about here at battle red radio
0: yeah. Keep your eyes peeled for cable mats. Don't fall on them. If you can, sue the NFL. That's their fault.
2: In the immaculate words of one Hassan Whiteside, it's a cold world. Bundle up. <laughs> All right, that's what we got. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we will have more content later this week. We'll be getting you ready for week 11. You won't want to miss it. We're getting ready for another week of football. Gotta love it. And then, of course... We'll be back recording Sunday night for a podcast that will launch Monday morning, recapping everything that happened Sunday. And we have our Saturday-Sunday update, checking in on Jeff Saturday in the division because, hey, you know what? Those media personalities taking on head coaching jobs, we've got to keep an eye on them. Those are our people. So we're going to check in on him as well. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're finding your podcast to get all of that stuff immediately put right onto your phone without even having to think about it. Thank you so much for listening. He's producer Nico. I'm Colt Molesky, and this has been another episode of Battle Red Radio.